in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible, we have been considering an eleventh objection, which has been raised against the truthfulness of the Bible, and thus of God as the author of the Bible. It is objected that there are mistakes and contradictions in historical accounts appearing in various parts of the Bible record, and therefore the Bible is not strictly truthful. This objection is indeed of great importance, for if we cannot depend upon the Bible in the smaller things that it reveals, we certainly cannot in the most important things that it has to say concerning our existence, the nature of sin, and the nature of redemption through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen that it is necessary because of the Bible's profound history that we come to it with a certain reverence and respect. Its authors have made most unusual claims. They affirm that God spoke with them and revealed to them truth, and they record their own sincerity in desiring with all their heart to impart this truth to others. Then as we look at their lives, they were sacrificial, uh, giving themselves to God, to serve God and to do His precious will. Now we have seen that if we are going to understand a given verse of the Bible, uh, for example, we must take into consideration the context in which it appears. And we may have to consider not only the whole chapter involved in this verse, but possibly the whole book, and conceivably the rest of the Bible on this very subject. And thus we have seen that apart from this principle, most anything can be proved. We also need to take into account the languages that the Bible were written in, for many times a translation cannot convey the true meaning intended. We should also consider the customs of the Bible, and particularly the use of words during the time when the books of the Bible were written, because God certainly has revealed himself to man with the great purpose of being understood, and therefore the writers of the Bible were inspired to use language that people would readily understand. And so by coming to the circumstances during which time the various books of the Bible were written, very frequently a new light is thrown upon the words of the writers of the Bible, and some supposed difficulties are immediately removed. These are the simpler methods by which we are guided through error into truth, and are merely the approach of common sense. Above all, the Bible promises upon the illumination of the Holy Spirit to bring us to an understanding of its truth as revealed in its pages. Just as the Holy Spirit moved men to write the Bible, so he has promised to lead all humble seekers into the precious truth of God through an understanding of the Bible. Uh, consider Jeremiah uh, chapter 29 and verse 13 in this respect. Dear Jeremiah was a very sacrificial and persecuted servant of the Lord. He was called the weeping prophet because of the great trials that he endured. But here he records God as speaking to us. 
For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So our approach to God will determine the enlightenment or illumination of the Holy Spirit that we receive upon the pages of the Bible, the Word of God. Also in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, we have a most appropriate verse as to our approach to understanding the truths of the Bible. For all those things hath mine handmade, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. So if we come to God with a humble attitude, and with a contrite spirit, and with a trembling solicitude or reverence, the Spirit of the living God will most assuredly lead us through any honest problems that we may have. In the 11th chapter of Matthew, verses 25 and 6, our blessed Lord is showing His tender regard to teach men the truth. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Now indeed, our blessed Master was not talking about babes in the physical aspect, but was speaking about individuals who had so humbled themselves that they had a teachable spirit. And the Lord Jesus said, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So if we are going to be truly enlightened upon the blessed word of God and have that happy state of faith, the greatest possession that anyone can ever have, we must come to the Bible with a reverential attitude and with a teachable spirit. And certainly no one has been denied great enlightenment who has approached the word of God thus. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 13, these profound words. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So here the apostle affirms that the very words that he used were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And isn't it wonderful that God has prepared all these wonderful things 
many stop with verse 9. It's wonderful that God hath prepared all these things for them that love him. But verse 10 goes on, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. So the gracious and merciful God has his bounty of blessing and desires to impart them unto us and to enlighten us. But let us go on and endeavor to classify some of the alleged discrepancies that have been charged against the Bible according to the type of their nature and their objection. First, we consider discrepancies, so-called, or contradictions, which sometime arise in people's minds because they do not carefully read just what the Bible says in a given matter. They base their objection on what they think it says, whereas careful attention to the words of the text removes this sort of difficulty. For example, some have affirmed that in one place in Genesis the Bible affirms that Adam and Eve were the first inhabitants of the earth, and in another that Cain went off and married a wife in the land of Nod, implying that there were other human beings on earth not born of Adam and Eve. But it is said in uh, Genesis 5.4, that Adam and Eve begat daughters without giving their names nor their place among the sons born. Also in uh, Genesis 4, 16 and 17, if we read these verses carefully, it is not said that Cain married his wife in Nod, but only that while living there he and his wife had children. So there is nothing said against Cain and his wife journeying together to that place where they settled. Bible students have uh, commonly accepted as a fact that a special dispensation was made in the first generation for brothers and sisters to marry. There is nothing in the Bible contrary to this supposition. And thus, what the Bible actually says in the case cited indeed removes all difficulty and immediately uh, removes a supposed contradiction. But secondly, there are other discrepancies which arise because of our ignorance of many facts possessed by Bible writers which we do not possess today. There was a great volume of oral tradition passed on from generation to generation which was a matter of common knowledge, which would immediately explain certain situations. For example, in 2 Timothy 3.8, the Apostle Paul mentioned two Egyptians, in all probability, by the names of Janus and Jambres, who withstood Moses and resisted the truth. These are not mentioned in the Old Testament narrative. There may have been other sources, we may affirm, which Paul had and which the Holy Spirit sanctioned as true history. Our ignorance should not lead us to charge of error in such a situation. It could be that the Apostle Paul had other sources of information, and even though it is not recorded in the Old Testament, it nevertheless could be a fact, and we certainly 
have no right in such a situation to charge inconsistency and error. Similarly, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, the Apostle Paul records words as spoken by Jesus, which are not recorded in the Gospels, as follows. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The Apostle John indicated in the last verse of his Gospel, uh, figuratively speaking, that if all the events of the Lord Jesus were recorded, the world could not contain the books that would need to be written. There were doubtless many records made in describing and quoting our Lord's ministry, so the saying of Paul could be a true saying. Indeed, Luke affirms that many had written of the life of Christ, and thus we see that this objection is without foundation, but we shall have to continue in our next visit. Our Heavenly Father, sanction to us the concept of thy word as coming to our hearts from a loving God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that many may be induced by it to turn from sin in repentance, come by faith to the cross of Christ, find forgiveness and reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.